making your way back to your seats, and as you do, grab your Bibles. That would be great, and uh, we're going to jump in and catch ourselves up on um, and hop back into our Names of God series together, and uh, if you've got your Bibles, you're going to want to be in and around the book of Exodus, okay? That's where we are going to be together, and as we begin, I want to just kind of refresh and recap where we've been, and I want to just catch us back up to speed. We took a break last week having Chaplain Stone with us, which was tremendous. If you weren't here, that audio is on our website, and I would just highly encourage you to get access to it and to listen to it, um, because it was just a tremendous, tremendous challenge to us and just a good reminder of uh, the men who are serving the men and women in the military and that's one of the neat parts of them coming in our partnership with the Eagle Commission and so nevertheless we took a break last week from looking at the names of God and we're jumping back in this morning to pick that back up and we're we're at a bit of a hinge point in our series Whereas I'll put the names up and, and just review them with you here in a few moments. But all the names that we've looked at so far led off with the word God. In, in the Hebrew, it was the, word, it was the letters E-L. And we just talked briefly throughout our look that when you see a name in the Old Testament, in our English Bibles, when you see a name that has E-L together... You should pause and you should ask yourself, I wonder if that name has anything to do with God because most of the names in the Old Testament that have an E-L somewhere in them do. So for example, Joel, so J-O-E-L. The definition of that name has something to do with God in it. Daniel, Ezekiel, Elijah, they're all names that have something to do with God. God and what God has in those cases intended for those individuals. Their names actually give you an indication of what God was calling them to do. And so all of the names of God we've looked at up to this point have all started with those letters E-L. And we're making a shift here. We're hinging and the names we will look at beginning today and then moving through the rest of our series will all begin with Yahweh. Or Jehovah. And there are many different names, a different set of names in the Old Testament that lead off with Jehovah. And so you have that, or you have Yahweh and Jehovah, and those are actually the same. Those words are synonyms. We'll talk about how that's the case here in a minute. But one of the things that we will see is the word Yahweh repeated over and over again as we continue to look at these names of God. And we're looking at these names and we're doing so because names reveal character. 
We can learn something about who God is by looking at the names he has chosen to reveal to us about himself. There's something revealed to us about the character of God when we think about the way and the name by which he is called. Names reveal action. Think about what God has done and the actions of God. We can see his works when we look at his names. And one caution as we think through the actions of God is that we need to be careful to not determine or conclude that because God did something in the Old Testament this way, he will do the exact same thing in the New Testament that way. When we look at the action of God, we're doing so to understand more of God because the God that we serve is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His actions, however, have changed. They're all within line of his character. They're all, they're all fitting and befitting for who he is. But I don't want us to say, well, Abraham conquered four different kingdoms with 318 trained soldiers. And then you had God's name here, O Most High, used. And so the, the actions of God are the same. I need to go find myself 300 men and I need to go to war. I don't think that's the point of the name. And our study certainly is not to lead us to that conclusion. So we're going to look at the action of God, but it's for the purpose of understanding more of the God behind the action. Because it's Him and Him who is the same yesterday, today, forever. And His name, as we even sang this morning, is refuge and power. We're told that the names of God are a shelter. They're a strong tower. In the New Testament, we are told that there's no other name given among men by which we are saved. It's the name of Jesus. There's no name higher. He is given the name higher than any other name. And his name provides refuge. It provides shelter. It provides safety and security. But there's also strength there. There's, there's power to love well. There's strength to obey when we're tempted to do otherwise. And God's names remind us of his character. They reveal to us his action and they reveal to us who he is and where we can run and find refuge and strength. And so over the last several weeks, we've been looking at different names of God. And here is the list that we've been trying to process and break down. We began with Elohim, and you're going to see in every one of those, except for the very last one, those letters E-L show up. Elohim, the one true God, the creator and possessor of all. So in the beginning, God created, Elohim created. We looked at El Shaddai, God Almighty. The all-sufficient one, El Elyon, most high God. El Roy, the God who sees El Olam, the everlasting God. And I am, which is just best translated as I am. And we'll think a little bit more 
about that this morning because I am and Yahweh are from the same Hebrew word and they mean the same thing and it's important for us to get our minds wrapped around how those names of God work themselves out in and through both the Old Testament and in our lives today. This morning we're going to be looking at Adonai and Yahweh. And in your Old Testament English Bibles, you're going to see Yahweh show up with the English letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. Or perhaps you might see all capitals G-O-D. There are some times in our English Bibles where you have just the word God there. But if it's all caps, it's not Elohim, it's Yahweh. But if it's just a capital L and lowercase o-r-d, it's Adonai. But both of these names of God are translated as Lord in our English versions. We're going to think through very briefly why that is. And we're going to just kind of try to understand and get our minds wrapped around how our English Bibles work for a few minutes. Yahweh shows up some 6,800 times in the Old Testament. It's everywhere. It's the name that God gave to Moses in Exodus 3 when Moses said, Who do I tell the Israelites that is sending me to lead them out of Egypt? And God says, I am, and you can tell them my name is Yahweh. The word Adonai, the name Adonai, shows up 300 or so times, and... It is used, obviously, much less frequently. But here in Psalm 8, for example, you see both. O Lord, all capitals, you see it there on the screen. Our Lord, just one capital. How majestic is your name in all the earth. And if you, if you know to look for it, you can begin to see it throughout. And you begin to pick up on those 6,800 different references to Yahweh, and here we could just simply insert those words, O Yahweh, our Adonai, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We're going to try to unpack, as I said, that the, why both of these are translated as Lord in our English Bibles, and try to do so in a way that's not terribly long but hopefully informative but then we want to understand what these names mean because we want to understand who God is telling us he is by the use of these names so before we go any further let's pray and then we'll try to unpack this a little further together get our minds wrapped around it but more than just accumulating facts and information we're we're asking God to meet with us to change us, to reveal to us who he is, that we might understand more of his love for us, and in turn, love and follow him more ourselves. So to that end, would you join me in prayer? Father God, we do pray for that, and we ask that you would meet with us and be gracious to us, that we would understand more of who you are. The very thought that a created being would be able to get its mind or my mind or our minds wrapped around the creator 
is not something we come to do with arrogance. Rather, God, I want to fully recognize my inability to understand who you are. The limitations I have to fully grasp your greatness and your majesty and your power. And so God, would you, would you be gracious to us to help us by your spirit understand more of who you are. And what it is that you have revealed to us in your word about yourself. God, you've chosen to use these names to describe yourself and to to give title to who you are and the actions that you have completed. God, we want to understand you. We believe that you have spoken, and it's in our best interest to draw near and listen. So God, I pray that you would give clarity to my words, that you would give Give our hearts and minds a willingness to receive what it is that you have. And God, may we understand more of who you are and your great love for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to briefly just walk you through how Adonai and Yahweh interrelate together. Because both of them, as we saw, are translated in our English Bibles as Lord. And if you notice, Yahweh, it's got four consonant letters, Y-H-W-H. And those consonant letters correspond with four letters from the Hebrew alphabet. I'm not going to try to pronounce them because, frankly, I'm not sure I'm going to do it the right way. And secondly, you'd have no idea if I did it the right way or not. So we're just going to put them on the screen and acknowledge that they're there. And we're just going to move on. But there are four letters there. You can see what looks to be an apostrophe there on the far right. In Hebrew, like other Middle Eastern languages, is read from right to left. So it's backwards from our English language. Or maybe our English language is backwards from them, right? Not have American arrogance here for a moment, but it's from right to left, all right? So you have the apostrophe that is corresponding to our English letter Y, and then you have H, and then you've got looks to be like an upside down hockey stick is the letter W, and then you have the letter H again, all right? So you track in with that. All of you are Hebrew scholars as of this morning. Um, but those correspond to the letters Y-H-W-H. And in ancient Hebrew, there were no vowels. They pronounced vowels as they read it, as they shared stories, but they didn't write vowels. It was just known that when you read, this is what you say. And so nobody actually really knows how to pronounce Yahweh. And that's part of some of the interesting path this name of God has taken over the, the, the centuries. And so you have YHWH. I flipped it around so that it looks a little bit more natural and normal to us. But those four letters are the names or is the name that God gave Moses in Exodus 3 verses 14 and 15 where Moses says, who do I tell him sent me? And God says, I am who I am. 
Tell the people of Israel, Yahweh sent you. I am and Yahweh are both built from the same Hebrew word and they just mean to be. If I understand it correctly, I am means I am. It means I will be. Yahweh means he will be. And so what God did for Moses was he gave him an opportunity to stand before the people of Israel and speak in the third person about God rather than the first. But this word Yahweh has taken a pretty interesting path through the years and through the languages and through translation. And so what happened was as as the people of Israel, as the Hebrews were seeking to both be faithful to what God had revealed in his word, but also careful to not take his name in vain. They began to insert vowels, but they did so for a really particular and important reason. And it was that they wanted to be as far away from taking the Lord's name in vain as possible. And what they did is they took the vowels from Adonai and they stuck them in Y-H-W-H. And they did so, so that when they saw with their eyes the vowels inserted into Y-H-W-H, they would read with their lips Adonai. Tracking with that? It was, a, it, was, it was a literary device that they created. Similarly to what you and I might see or think when we write I-E or E-G. And we kind of understand that to mean for example. If we're composing an email or writing a document, we might say something and perhaps put in parenthesis, you know, I-E. It's a shorthand way of saying, for example, and then we insert some examples, or maybe ETC, etc. Now, there's other examples we could list, but we're not going to continue listing them. This is a similar literary device, and it was because they wanted to stay so far away from taking the Lord's name in vain. That they inserted the vowels from Adonai into the consonants of Yahweh. And as they did so, the the idea was that they would see Y-A-H-O-W-H or Y-E-H. There's some disagreement about what letter was put there. And they would say with their mouth, Adonai. So then as the Old Testament was read, you hear Adonai. 6,800 times, because we're not pronouncing the name Yahweh. And in our English Bibles, then we get the word Lord for both. Now, Jehovah plays into this as well. Just, just curious, who has heard the name Jehovah? Okay? Some of you, if you have a King James Bible with you, can go to a particular passage, and there's several of them, and find Jehovah listed. Well, as I said earlier, Jehovah and, Ad, or Jehovah and Yahweh are synonymous. And here's what happened and how that transpired to be. In the 1500s, as the Old Testament was being translated into Latin, Y's were replaced with H's and W's were replaced with V's. 
just merely by translation. And you can already see the word Jehovah emerging. And so when we got to the name Yahweh that had the vowels for Adonai inserted, scholars in the 1500s and scribes in the 1500s began transliterating that from Hebrew into Latin. And they used Latin letters. And so then you have what we have as Jehovah. Now scholars are by and large convinced that this name is not pronounced Jehovah. And depending on who you read, some are a little bit more uh, strong with that assertion than others. Um, What we're going to do is over the next few weeks you're going to see the name Jehovah show up. Um, and here's why. Just it, it was a personal choice and preference on my part. And it stems back from when I was in high school and working at a camp. And we were part of a choir that sang. And there was a song we sang that was called More Than Enough. It was by the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And that song, like Blessing and Honor, lists the names of God and then gives definition to them. So it leads off the soloist, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Well, the definition for Jehovah Jireh is the Lord provides. And so I just made the personal choice to not work against the grain of that default position. So we're going to see Jehovah, but Jehovah and Yahweh are synonymous. But they mean some really important things. And Yahweh and Adonai mean some pretty important things for us. We can give the definition of sovereign master to Adonai. We just sang those lyrics, sovereign over us. Throughout the endless ages we sang, you will be crowned with praises, Lord Most High. Sovereign master is the definition we can give to Adonai. One scholar wrote, the name Adonai, while translated Lord, with just a capital L, it signifies ownership. And it indicates that God is the owner of all. And he consequently claims the unrestricted obedience of all. There is overlap with this name as there has been overlap with all of the names that we have been looking at because the character of God doesn't change. We're getting a different sliver of the pie in trying to understand who he is. But the name Adonai means sovereign master. And this word Adonai is used both as a title for God, a way to describe God, but it's also used just commonly in language to describe other rulers perhaps. At one point, Sarah references Abraham as her lowercase l, Adonai. And so it had that idea working itself out through the Old Testament and what these people wrote and how they, how they understood the word to be. That it, it was the idea of Lord, but Sarah is not ascribing to Abraham ultimate authority. But it is a name that culturally they would have used. I think in a lot of ways it's similar to what you might hear in England where you would have lords and ladies. Similar idea there. It is a recognition perhaps of a position or a stature or a status. But it does not have any of the weight and thrust behind it that a 
reference directly to God would. But in Deuteronomy 10.17, you see a lot of the names that we've been looking at show up. For the Lord, that's Yahweh, all capitals, your God or Elohim is God of gods and Adonai of Adonai's. You can see there, he's the Lord of lords. Great and mighty, awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Adonai being best defined as sovereign master. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When we get to the New Testament, the word Lord shows up a bunch. And in the translation of the Old Testament into Greek, those translators just picked one Greek word to use for both Yahweh and Adonai. They use the same Greek word for that in their translation moving forward. But we see these themes of God as sovereign master repeat themselves throughout the New Testament. We see it directly in the writings or the prayers that the disciples and or authors of New Testament scripture used to both describe who God was and their relationship to him. And so in Acts 4:24, Peter and John had been arrested. They had been imprisoned. They were commanded to no longer preach in the name of Jesus, but then they are released and they go and they find their friends. They report to them everything that had happened. And when they, all of these friends, the large group of people, heard would have been their report, they lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord. That's that idea of master, and that's the word that's used there. They lead off their prayer with an acknowledgement and a recognition that God is the master. He's the owner. We would use our word as they just have, sovereign over us. It's Adonai repeated. He made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them. Paul writes about this idea of him being a servant of the master. This is another way that we see these ideas of master and servant play themselves out in the New Testament. It's the, it's the idea of Adonai working itself forward. And Paul says, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. Now, that's actually a pretty tame translation. A much more literal translation of that would be a slave. Of Christ Jesus. In our English Bibles, they don't give us the word slave, largely in part because of all of the abuses that have taken place and evils that have taken place throughout history regarding the ownership of people by other people. And so to try to not confuse the idea We get the word servant, or maybe one of your translations says bond servant. The idea is the same there. But it's this idea that I'm owned by somebody. That's what Paul wrote. I'm owned by somebody, and his name is Jesus. And he's called me to be an apostle. He set me apart for the gospel. And and here's just what I want to acknowledge for a moment. We're not stepping into the conversation about slavery and the scriptures and all of those things. I I, want to point this out, though. 
for Paul, this thing is a good thing. Okay, we're, we struggle with the word slave because of all of the evils that are a part of the history of our nation and other nations around the world and the ownership of people. We struggle with that, and for good reason. But he's writing about his relationship with the Lord in a way that appears to have no struggle. I'm a slave to Jesus, he says. He's my master. I've been called an apostle. So this idea of Jesus as Adonai, the one who is the sovereign master over us, is written with tremendous fondness. And it's actually in the beginning of Luke that we see both of these ideas together in one verse when Simeon has an opportunity to be a part of baby Jesus being brought to the temple. And he says this, Lord, or Master, you are now letting your servant or slave depart in peace. Again, for Simeon, there wasn't the baggage. There's the pretty clear sense that in his mind, he knew exactly who God was, he knew exactly who he was, and he was A-OK with that relationship. The word Adonai means sovereign master. He's owner of us. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing because of who he is. It's a good thing because of his character and who he has revealed to us he is in his word. And we see that on display then as we unpack and think through what the name Yahweh means. The word Yahweh, the name Yahweh, all 6,800 times, the majority of them at least, are used in the sense of describing God's covenant relationship with his people. There's an expression of relationship there. The New Testament's going to express that relationship and it's going to use the word father to do so. And again, we might have experiences or we might know people who are not good fathers. Or you might have experienced some of that in your own history. But the, the way the scriptures present to us God as Father, it's a good thing. And the word Yahweh throughout the Old Testament expresses who God is in the relationship that he has with his people. It just simply means I am. It means he will be. And in our English Bibles, you're going to see it show up as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And here again is that scene with Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Moses had asked the question, who are you? He says, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Before anything was, I am. And I mean, if we just, again, allow ourselves to just try to get our minds wrapped around this idea that God had no beginning and he had no end. He's just always existed. Like it, there's a moment in trying to think and process that. that like your mind just cannot go any further. Because in our worlds, everything has 
a cause or everything is the effect of a cause. And yet here God is saying, no, I'm, I, I just am. There's no greater authority than him. There's no one higher. There's no one beyond, or there's nothing beyond his knowledge. There is nothing beyond his sight. There is nothing outside of his sovereign control. Because he is the everlasting one. One of the things that just kind of blows my mind is that before there was black as a color, there was God. I try to picture that scene in Genesis where in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And in the course of the created week, God made everything that there was, including the colors. And in my mind, I try to envision God somewhere existing amidst nothing else. And I just immediately launched to like a starless space. But in my mind, that has blackness to it. Black was created. It wasn't there before God spoke it into being. And this is just what he's saying. This is who he is. I am. I will be. And Moses receives further instruction. God says to Moses, say this to the people, Yahweh, the God of your fathers. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. You see God expressing himself in and through relationship. And he does so reminding Moses to remind the people of his promises. And so then Moses leads the people out. They have this tremendous victory over the Israelite or over the Egyptians. The Red Sea splits. The, the, the Red Sea comes back. There's this tremendous victory. And then God begins to unpack for this new nation who he is and what he's calling them to. And when we get to Exodus 20, which is right before the Ten Commandments come, there's some important things that we see. Moses comes down to give a report to the people, to tell them what God has told him. And he says, God spoke all these words saying, I am Yahweh, your Elohim, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery. And there we have the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. But I want you to notice how those things happen together. Because Yahweh is used to describe God who is a relational God. Who exists to be in relationship with his people. And has made promises to them. And I want you to see that before God even gives them the first commandment to obey. He has declared to them who he is. I am your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Parents, think of it this way. When you have that moment of correction with one of your children. And say, hey, dad, dad said this. For them, 
And for you, I suppose and suspect, there's not a question about whether or not you're going to be dad at the end of that conversation. Your instruction to them actually is because you are dad. And that's what God has done here. And that's what God does for us as well. I think we have a tendency to default to thinking that the Old Testament or salvation for the Old Testament Jew was because of their works. Keep the Ten Commandments. Earn your salvation. And I just want to tell you, nothing's further from the truth. Because before God ever gives them a single command, he tells them first, I'm your God. And the same is true for us as we think through what faith in Jesus Christ looks like as well. The Old Testament saint was not saved because they obeyed perfectly the Ten Commandments. They were actually incapable of doing so. They were saved because they placed their faith and trust in the promises of God. They might not have known the name Jesus Christ as clearly as we have the benefit of knowing it. But the New Testament's pretty clear in indicating That God knew exactly what he was doing. And when they placed their faith and trust in his promises, God was looking forward to what Jesus would do on their behalf. And you and I have the benefit of knowing the name Jesus a little bit more clearly than they do. You and I have the benefit of having the work of Jesus and the person of Jesus explained a little bit more clearly for us. But the faith is still the same. The God who loved the world so much that he sent his only son to die on the cross for us is the same God. You don't have an angry God in the Old Testament trying to make everybody obey his commands so that they can earn salvation. And then a really nice loving God in the New Testament that goes, holy smokes, they weren't able to do it. I guess we got to change course. It's the same God. And it's the God who exists in relationship with his people. It's Yahweh. It's the Father who loved the world so much that he sent his only Son. That who would ever believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus claimed that for himself. And the religious rulers picked up stones to try to take his life. But this is the God of the Bible. And he is the same on the left side as he is on the right side. And he exists as the sovereign master, most certainly. But he exists as well as the one who comes to be in relationship. And he is the one who sent his son. Not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's why we sing all our hope is in Jesus. 
Our hope isn't in our church attendance. Our hope isn't in whatever you put in the offering. Our hope is not in whatever it might be that we do. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in the, tr- the promises of God. And He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Well, God, we thank you for those promises that you have given us. We thank you for who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And we thank you that you don't give us a list of things to do to try to earn our salvation. That it's by grace we are saved. Through faith and your promises. It's not of works. It's a free gift that you've given to us. So that none of us can boast. And so God we thank you for who you are. This this sovereign master. The creator of all things. And yet the one who. Comes to be in relationship with his creation. The one who frees slaves. Sets captives free. Heals the brokenhearted. The one who's a good father. So God, we thank you for who you are. For who Jesus is. And it's in his good name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we close, please?